Welcome to Live Well with Southwell. Southwell is dedicated to helping you be equipped with the best tools and knowledge to make sure you and your family live a healthy life. Live Well with Southwell features interviews with experts across many areas of healthcare and wellness. We hope you enjoy listening and most importantly, living well. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Liza Tillman, and today I'm joined by Tressie Mathis, Director for Hospice of Tiftaria, and Dr. Steve Rigdon, Internal Medicine Physician at Southwell Medical Clinic. Both Tressie and Dr. Rigdon are here to help us learn more about what hospice care is and the services that we offer to our community at Hospice of Tiftaria. I am so excited to have two guests joining me today. So thank you so much for coming today, Dr. Rigdon and Tressie. Let's get started um, by getting to know the both of you a little bit better. So can each of you tell us where you're from, a little bit about your family and your educational background, and also how long have you worked with us at Southwell? Uh, my name is Steve Rigdon. I, I'm an internist. Uh, I've been at Southwell now for 39 years. Wow. Came here in 1981. Uh, at that point, it was Tifton Medical Clinic, then Affinity, and now Southwell. Uh, I've practiced uh, in the hospital and most recently in the office. And during all these years, I've treated critically ill people and many people at the end of their lives. And pertinent to this conversation, I'm suddenly thrust into the idea that this is our 36th year. I think we were the first hospice anywhere in this region. Mm -hmm. And the reason I know that, because I was part of its inception, 36 years ago. <laughs> when I first came here in 1981, uh, even at that point, Tift Regional was really a referral center, and it was the mecca for anybody who was sick in this region. And many times on call, I would see people for the first time in the emergency room and realize that they're terminally ill. I would have our own patients who had come to the emergency room, and they were terminally ill. And all they wanted was comfort. And we really had no option given the paucity of home health services at that time, other than to put people in the hospital and help relieve their pain and thereby separate them from their homes and to some degree their families at the very time they wanted to be home with their family most. And so when the idea of the creation of a hospice uh, 36 years ago came, I jumped all over it because I thought it was one of the biggest needs that our patients had. And indeed, I think it's one of the most human and humane things that we as a medical community have done in all these years. Well, could you tell us a little bit about your um, educational background? Y yes, I'm actually from Tifton. I was Tift County High School. I went to Emory. I did my residency in Carolina. Uh, I've been back here since 1981. My wife is a nurse. My, uh, I have two children, one of whom actually works at the Mayo Clinic, not a physician, but is in, in some of their administration stuff. So I have a broad array of experience with a lot of different medical centers. Well, great. We're so excited to have you today. Thank you. So how about you, Tressie? I, I'm a registered nurse. I've yeah. been a registered nurse for um, 28 years now. Wow. <laughs> um, I'm originally a native of South Florida. Okay. Um, we, uh, I moved here with my family in 2005. Mm -hmm. I spent the first half of my career um, working in oncology and pain management, and then now the second half of my career I've worked in pain management and hospice and palliative care. Okay. I am married. I have two children. Yeah. My oldest child is a, a girl, and my youngest is a boy. I agree with Dr. Rigdon that I think hospice is a discipline that is very much needed mm -hmm. in the community for our, for our patients. 
I also think that it is something that um, is not accessed soon enough for many yeah. of our patients. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of that has to do with some of the misconceptions about hospice, which I think we're probably going to talk about a little bit. Absolutely. Today. Yeah. That's, I'm so excited to have both of you in the room um, to talk about this because like we were talking about before we got started, I'm, I'm not super familiar with hospice, so I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about it. So what are your respective roles with hospice of Tift area? We'll start with you, Dr. Rigdon. Yes, I'm, I'm the general medical director, which I've actually been for the most part, over these 36 years. <laughs> and I'm responsible for the medical care, okay. per se, uh, working with the nurses on an individual basis with each individual patient. Um, I don't really see the patients. We have wonderfully trained nurses who do this and other staff. Mm-hmm. I work with him and them and provide backup for whatever they might need. Okay. And what about you, Tracy? What's your role? I'm the director for hospice. I'm also okay. the director for our palliative care services. Mm-hmm. And and I have been with TIFF Regional now for, this May will be 15 years. Wow, that's great. So a lot of experience between the both of you and probably your staff members. We'll get to that for sure. So let's start off by learning about hospice care. So can you tell us what it is and what it isn't? So I asked that question because I think there's a lot of like you said, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what hospice care is. So what is hospice care? Hospice care is a patient and family-centered type of care. Mm-hmm. We focus on comfort and quality of life, pain and symptom management, mm-hmm. um, patient and family psychosocial and spiritual support. Mm-hmm. And we do that for patients and families who have life-limiting illnesses and who are expected to have a six-month prognosis if their disease follows its natural course. Okay. I think that's it in a nutshell. I think one of the things you ask is what is it not? Yeah. Now, it's not designed for people who are not at that point psychologically or physically mm-hmm. realizing that you're no longer looking for a cure. That in this situation, success is control of pain. It's comfort. As you said, it's psychosocial, spiritual support allowing people to make this last leg of the journey of their life. Mm-hmm. But it is not for people who are not at that point right. mentally or physically mm-hmm. that, that they realize that's where they are. Okay. I, I think I, w- I would also like to add to that, Liza, is that one of the things that I do here, working on both sides, palliative care and hospice, mm-hmm. is that you know patients and families many times think, when their physician has talked to them about hospice services or that becomes an option of care for them, that hospice is, the exact words patients will tell me or their families, hospice is coming to help me die. Yeah, yeah. And yes, if your disease follows its natural trajectory, we're going to come to end of life. Mm -hmm. And yes, hospice is going to help the patient and the family through that. Mm -hmm. But actually, hospice is coming to help you live the best that you can for whatever time that is. And we know that the prognosis is six months, but we also know that we can't, we can't pin that down to a day That's or a right. time. Mm-hmm. And so we're coming to help you live the best you can for whatever time that is. Mm-hmm. Coming to help you meet your goals through that time. Mm-hmm. Um, just because patients have gotten a terminal diagnosis or because they are on that last leg, like Dr. Regan has said, um, doesn't mean that they don't have goals. That's and they right. don't have things that they want to accomplish, mm-hmm. things that they want to leave legacies for, and that's also what hospice helps to do. Yeah. And I think what you said is exactly right, Tracy. This is, and this is not, I've heard people say, oh, they're called in hospice. Like, that's the last 
uh, you know, the end of situation. It is not. Many times people, just because someone comes on hospice doesn't mean they can't come off of it. Sure. We have many people who come in, we work with hospice, they stabilize, and we realize, you know, really, you're no longer a candidate for hospice. You've gotten better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so many times people will graduate from hospice. Uh, they can go on back to their life, and if things down the line should change, mm-hmm. uh, they can come back on hospice. This is not something that's irrevocable, and you're not losing control. I think one of the key things with hospice is right, you, you, hospice is tailor-made to let the patient do it the way they want to do it. That's great. The way they and the family want to do it. There is no scripted process here. It's every situation is different. And that's when I think we have the most marvelous staff. Uh, They're so sensitive to these things, uh, so sensitive where people are socioeconomically, spiritually, family. Um, so many things that this this organization has a heart. When I and when I say it has a heart, I mean I'm looking more at the nurses, Tressy, all the other nurses and supports. They're the ones who are the hands on. They have a heart. They range for so many nuanced things of kindness mm-hmm. for families that just go way beyond pure medical care. And like I say, they are the heart. Anyway, they're the best expression of the heart of caring of the system, I think. Well, and you probably have to be a very special kind of person to be able to provide that kind of care to people, especially when they are at the the end of their life or think that they may be at the end of their life. So, um, so I, I you you touched on this a little bit that it's. Um, appropriate for some people and not for everybody, but um, uh, something that, that I've heard is that you're not able to receive primary care services. So you're not receiving treatment for anything else necessarily. Is that true? So if, am I going to go to my family doctor to, to get something looked at? Or um, if say you're getting, you have cancer, are you going to continue to get your chemo treatments when you're on hospice? Is that, or did you, like you said, it's tailor-made per, per patient. It's tailor-made per patient okay. and all of hospice care is directed towards like we said, quality of life, pain, right. and symptom management. Okay. So if a treatment or a, a medication is going to promote your quality of life or mm-hmm. it's going to promote symptom control, mm-hmm. those are hospice appropriate. But when we talk about um, your physician, mm-hmm. at Hospice of Tift Area, um, your primary care physician can remain your physician of record if that's what you choose. Okay. Um, you, you are still able to go into the office and see that physician if, if that was what you would choose to do, okay, um, and if you're able to do those to do those things, sure. um, does that kind of answer yes, your question? Yes, that does. I, I think it's just kind of, and and the key word that I've heard from both of you is that this is a tailor made situation per patient. There's not a one size fits all for a hospice patient. Is am I hearing that correctly? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, and so yeah. I think that that's that's got to be comforting for families to know that it's not oh just because I heard so and so did this when they were on hospice that it's going to happen for. For yeah. my loved one, yeah, right? No, no one is taking things away. Right. You know, and it's there again. It's what patients want. We treat people for urinary tract infections, mm-hmm. pneumonias, uh, you know, just anything that may need to come up that is, as we say, is quality of life and is fixable uh, in, in, in that sense of the word. Sure. Uh, you're not being abandoned. There's right. no way is this a sign of neglect, 
neglect by family or caregivers, they're on hospice and they're just abandoned. The opposite's true. Yeah. Uh, the hospice gr- group comes in like a wonderful team of caregivers who look at everything in the most sequential and organized way. That if, I mean, it's, it's amazing. People go on hospice, and many times they uh, are, are, are well enough that we're thinking, you know, you really may not be on hospice. And so the nurses broach that idea with the patients. You know, this is great. You've gotten better. We really don't think you may need to be on hospice. Mm-hmm. hospice. And it sends many of them into a panic because they have been so nurtured and reassured yeah. by this team mm-hmm. that they may think that may they long may no longer need yeah they want them so if that tells you anything for sure yeah absolutely that speaks volumes my next question kind of goes along with it and you may have answered it but can you still go to the hospital for care if you're on hospice so say i fell and broke my leg or something can i still go to the hospital and get treated for that so just like it, this is kind of a, we kind of come around to the same thing yeah, each time we uh-huh. talk. So um, just like Dr. Rickman has said, like I've said, each plan is tailored for that patient. So the patient or the patient's decision maker, which may be their family, mm-hmm. is always the captain of the ship. That's great. Yeah. So hospice is never going to say you cannot mm-hmm. dot, 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 dot. Great. Yeah. Now, the hospice nurse or the social worker, they may sit with you, sit with the patient family to say, okay, here's our situation. Yeah. Here's our potential mm-hmm. ways to solve this. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? It's never black and white. It's never black and white. That's great. Under hospice care itself, there are two ways that you might go into the hospital or into a 24-hour caregiving situation. That would be what we call general inpatient hospice. Mm-hmm. And that is meant for patients who are in the home under hospice, but they have developed a symptom that hospice does not feel can be well enough controlled in the home, Mm -hmm. and it needs 24-hour supervised care Mm -hmm. in a facility in order to to get that symptom controlled. Or maybe it needs a medication that can only be given inside of a facility to get that symptom controlled. Hospice then would talk to the patient and family about actually bringing them into the hospital. Um, hospice of Tift area uses Tift Regional or we use Southwell. Mm-hmm. We would talk to them about bringing them into the hospital to get that symptom well enough controlled that we could then go back into the home environment. That's one way you go into the hospital under hospice. The other way might be what we call respite care, mm-hmm. which is when the hospice will bring the patient into a 24-hour facility in order to allow the caregiver some time for respite, mm-hmm. to have some downtime to yeah. recuperate um, and that's typically about a, a five-day stay. So that's how you might go in the hospital under hospice. Now, back to your question about I fell, I broke my hip. Mm-hmm. Well, if the patient is at a point in their disease trajectory that they are still up, they're still walking, they mm-hmm. still, you know, they're still enjoying things, they're still, then that patient may say, hey, to get this hip fixed is going to really provide me quality of life. Right, I, right. Then, yes, mm-hmm. they can revoke hospice, they can go into the hospital have that surgery, get those things done. It doesn't prevent them from coming back on hospice afterwards under their terminal diagnosis, if that's what they would choose to do. Mm -hmm. Then you also may have a patient who revokes hospice because they have just decided that they want treatment for their life-limiting illness now, and they may choose to go into the hospital. Hospice is not going to say to a patient, you cannot. Okay. Now, what might happen down the road if we have a patient who 
Because when you, like Dr. Riggin said earlier, when you choose hospice, you're choosing hospice because you or your family have made that kind of decision that my goal is now comfort care. Mm-hmm. I don't want that disease-directed treatment anymore that comes with its own burdens. Sure. So if we had a patient who was coming off of hospice quite frequently to go into the hospital, then we would sit and have, a, have those discussions about, is hospice really what you want? Because it is all about what that patient wants. Yeah, that's wonderful. So who is hospice appropriate for? And, and what I mean by that is, is it for certain ages or can anybody go on hospice? In anybody. Uh, the whole, as Tracy said earlier, the idea is that it's if the disease takes its expected course, Mm -hmm. that they would not be expected to live longer than six months. Having said that, as Tracy said, none of us are God. We don't know. These are educated guesses. And we've had people who've been on hospice for a couple of years. Uh, So it's using your best judgment. We've had, unfortunately, infants, Mm -hmm. children, young adults. We've had all ages. And um, with all, obviously, implied different issues and needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's pr- appropriate for anyone who's at that stage of their life. So what does a day in the life of a hospice patient look like? Well, I would tell you that that also is kind of depending on where they are with their sure. disease. Yeah. But if you're talking about how does the team interact with the, yes, with the patient family. Mm-hmm. So that is also based on patient need. We have routine visits, okay. which you know the, the nurse is typically going to visit weekly. But... That nurse is on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, let me back up. We have a nurse on call 24 hours a day, seven days. So it may not okay. be that the patient's exact nurse, exact okay. nurse um, unless it happens to be their nurse that's on call. But if at 2 a.m. that patient um, has an issue that the family does not know how to manage or that the nurse cannot give them quick directions over the phone how to manage or that the nurse just feels like the family needs support, even though maybe they can manage it, they need support, that nurse is coming to them no matter what time of day, no matter what day of the week. But the routine visit is typically once a week, unless there is something that they're working on. Maybe they've got a symptom that they're trying to get better controlled. The nurse may visit several days in a row. Okay. The social worker, it's pretty much that same way. Their visit is typically what's required of them is monthly, Mm -hmm. but they're going to visit based on what that patient's need is. If the patient would like to have a visit uh, more frequently than that, then that's what we're going to do. If the patient has a need that needs to be managed and so the social worker is working on, that's what we're going to do. And then chaplaincy is is the same. And those, um, you know, we, we once again try to tailor it to what the patient and family want or need. You know, sometimes, and we have a C- CNAs. Um, CNAs go anywhere between three and five days a week. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll have families that say we don't want the CNA service at all. Yeah. Sometimes we may have families that say we don't want the chaplaincy service or we don't want social worker service other than what we are required to have. Right. right. So it's very much tailored to what the patient and family yeah. want and or need. And I those, think you said this before too, Tracy. I think one thing we never want to be is intrusive. Sure. Some people are very protective of their privacy, and they may be very stable and have very low needs. No one's going to be sticking their nose in where they're not needed. But what I've seen, the incredible thing with hospice, many times families understand they want to handle everything as well as they can on their own, and many times it's, it's a difficult decision in the course of a family and a patient's life to realize, hey, 
myself or my loved one is at this point, mm-hmm. and we're no longer looking for care. What we're looking for is comfort, and that's a big decision. And many times that's fraught almost with a sense of guilt because yeah. families are thinking, am I throwing in the towel? Mm-hmm. We are not. This is a decision that's a very individual thing that every family and, and, and patient has to decide themselves. What I've seen happen so many times, families felt like they're just sort of flapping in the breeze. Yeah. And when suddenly when they make that decision, when they realize where they are and the hospice team comes in, it gives them an incredible sense of comfort, mm-hmm. backup. They're not rediscovering the wheel. Hospice is wonderful at organizing resources, whether it be medical equipment or whatever, and bringing it. You know, they know how to access the system, which a family understandably would not. And it's like a friend to hold your hand and to co- help coordinate things as you want it to be. Well, that was, I'm kind of going backwards here, but you were talking about the family's decision. So how does one come upon hospice? How is that something that you talk about with your doctor? Or is that something that a family member can just say, hey, I, we're struggling, we need help, let's reach out to hospice of Tift area. So how, how does that kind of referral process happen? Or, or um, what does that look like? Our physicians in the community make those referrals, mm-hmm. but also we can uh, we can take what's called a community referral. So the okay. family may call, or the patient may call themselves and say, yeah. you know, I want to know more about hospice. Can you tell me? We, we, will, we will do that consultative visit. They may say, well, we've decided we want this service, and at which point we reach out to their physician okay. and, and have that discussion um, to have that order for, for a hospice. Okay. So is hospice care covered by insurance? It is. It's covered by both Medicare, Medicaid, and most insurances. Okay. Um, but I will tell you, for Hospice of Tift Area, we serve our patients regardless of payer ability. Okay. I gotcha. So that's my next question. What's the difference between a nonprofit hospice and a for-profit hospice? And what is Hospice of Tift Area? Hospice of Tift Area is a not-for-profit hospice. Okay. I think one of the the biggest things maybe that plays a role in the difference between not-for-profit and for-profit hospice, um, not-for-profit hospices you know, we don't have shareholders or stakeholders that we are having to provide a bottom line profit margin to. Right. So that in and of itself, I think, lends to the ability of maybe providing more services to the patient or family, mm-hmm. more time with the patient or family. That, I think, is, is, is the, the biggest difference in my view. Okay. And I think it's also a philosophical difference, actually based on the history of the organization. This organization was started, was not-for-profit. In fact, it was a totally voluntary organization. Wow. There was, uh, to my knowledge, there was no government funding, or if there was, it was minuscule. Or there might have been a little minuscule funding from the hospital. I quite frankly don't remember, but it's, but it's at its inception, it was virtually entirely volunteer-based. Mm-hmm. And so that was the origin of it. It was never profit-driven, ever. And I've had, I never even hear anything like any of that. I mean, quite frankly, I don't know whether we lose money, make money. I've never <laughs> even heard it even mentioned, yeah. if it, that tells you anything with regard to the medical care. Now, we want appropriate medical care. We, we, we do not want waste. Sure. But I have never heard that even mentioned. That's not why you're there. That's not, That's why, not why we're, we're there. there. Yeah. So what services do you offer to your hospice patients? So I know we've already talked a lot about the core services, the yes. the nurse, the social worker, the chaplain, 
the CNAs, but we also have volunteer support services. You know, we have volunteers that volunteer to go and they may go and sit with our patient. They may go and sit with the patient while the family member is able to run some errands. Um, they may go and do arts and crafts at home with yeah. the patient. I mean, they become a friend of, yeah. of that patient. Um, they they kind of take them under their wing and sometimes become like family, like much of the team does. Yeah. So we have volunteer support services. We have grief and bereavement services. I don't know, a, a lot of people may not be aware, but hospice offers 13 months of bereavement support after the patient has passed away wow. for the family. Yeah. Hospice of Tiftaria does all of that bereavement support themselves. I know there are some hospices that contract that out to other entities, mm-hmm. um, but we do all of that bereavement support ourselves. Hospice of Tiftaria um, even offers bereavement support to folks in the community who have had deaths in their in their families, but they were never a patient of Hospice of Tiftaria. Oh wow! I will tell you just recently during this pandemic, our our bereavement coordinator has done, I can't give you an exact number, but it has been a lot mm-hmm. of bereavement and grief support with families of patients who passed away during the pandemic, mm-hmm. whether it was with COVID or not. But during this time when we have had such you know, limited um, ability to visit yeah. with our family and be with our family during the time of death, mm-hmm. that has caused a lot of complicated bereavement and grief. And Hospice of Tiftaria um, has been a resource for patients yeah. and families in our community for that. Um, but so bereavement and grief counseling, you know, we offer the grief count the gr- grief camp for kids each year. Yeah. Um, we've been limited with that last year because right. of the pandemic. This year, we've got a plan for a virtual if we're not going to be able to be in person. One on one grief counseling, and then also support groups. So that is another service that's all offered through hospice and through hospice of Tiftaria. We offer nutritional services, diet, dietitian consults in the home oh, wow. if need be for patients who, you know, we're, we're trying to su- support them nutritionally. Um, we offer some physical therapy services. Now, it is li- they are, those are more limited. We, um, you know, the, the goal with hospice is, like we said, again, comfort. Most of our patients are not interested in physical therapy type services. But (laughs) if we have a patient who has a need, maybe the family needs to be taught how to better transfer that patient. Or maybe the patient has some potential to uh, mobilize themselves Mm -hmm. if they just were taught a little better how to do that. Then we do do some limited physical therapy service in the home. Sometimes, as Dr. Rigdon was talking about earlier, when we have patients who they seem to be getting better, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're thriving on our service and they seem to be getting better. And we're thinking, maybe this patient, you know, is not appropriate for hospice anymore. We actually may have physical therapy come in and evaluate them to see, is there potential here for them to to benefit from aggressive services? And if so, then we may talk about, hey, maybe you need to come off hospice so that you can do these services. So physical therapy, occupational therapy, nutritional services, um, I can't, I, I don't think of any anything else. Do you, That's Dr. Rick? <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, I think the word holistic comes to mind, that you are really treating every aspect of these this patient's life and not just the patient but the family and, the and their family. caregivers um that's that's huge that, that's what i keep saying i think this yeah. is in many ways is an expression of the heart absolutely medical system yeah because it it many I, I know one of the things in my training i was taught that no matter how sick the person is you never want them to make you never want them to feel like that their situation is hopeless mm. or that things cannot be better, made better. It can always be made better. It may be just coming in the room and fluffing the pillow. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's be readjusting and helping to be more comfortable, paying attention to them, 
that's validating the patient. I'm still here. You know, I still have worth. I still have needs. Uh, that's all part of it. And that's what I said, the expression of the heart of the medical system as I think it should be. Absolutely. Well, we've touched on this a little bit, but can you tell us about your incredibly caring and special staff members? So I know you have nurses and social workers and um, things like that, but I, and we touched on how, how you probably feel called to, to be in a role like this. How, how important are these staff members to the, to the families and the patients? Um, well, like we, we said a little bit earlier, they, they become part of these families. Yeah. Our staff, and you are right, it is a calling. I, I would tell you that I could not just pluck any nurse off yeah. of the street or any mm-hmm. nurse out of the hospital or mm-hmm. any nurse out of an office practice and them be able to be a hospital sure. nurse. Mm-hmm. Same thing with our social workers, same thing with our chaplains, same thing with the CNAs. They, like Dr. Rigdon has said, have a heart for these patients. Mm-hmm. Same with our volunteers. I will tell you, during, the, during this pandemic time, when we've had to have limited extra going into the home to protect yeah. our patients, mm-hmm. our volunteers love these patients, and they are chomping at the bit I to be know. able to get oh, back yeah. to seeing their, they call them their patients. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it does take a special staff. All three of our um, our two patient care coordinators, and when we talk about you know the ability of our staff, our patient care coordinators are nationally hospice and palliative care certified. Okay. Um, we have several of our case manager nurses that are also nationally hospice and palliative care certified. Um, we actually have even one of our CNAs is hospice and palliative care certified. Now, what does that mean? What is what what gives that distinction? Why is that so important? Well, that means that they have sat for for national testing that okay. says they are an expert in this field. Okay, basically in layman's terms is what that would mean. Great. So that has to be comforting to families to know that you've got an expert group of people who who are taking care of your family member and your loved one, but they also care and they're there for them. We have an expert group of people, and I would tell you we also have a group of people who have longevity in yeah. hospice. Mm. Just as the hospice has been there 36 years, we have many of our staff are, are 10 years or more doing, wow. what, doing what they're doing. Yeah, that's wonderful. And well, they're kind. Yeah. I mean, I just, that's, I just, I'm kind of amazed. I, a lot of the CNAs, the, you know, uh, the nurses, I mean, they're, they're all just kind. Yeah. Their understanding. I mean, many times I think our medical system is viewed, unfortunately, sometimes rightly so, as being very, impersonal and, and indifferent. This is the very opposite of that. And there again, that's where I keep saying in a way, this is the heart of what we as a, is what I think medical systems should be doing. Absolutely. And, and that, that comes across in just talking to the two of you. I can only imagine seeing that firsthand in someone's experience. So is there anything else that y'all would like to add to this? Anything you don't think we've covered or... Anything you would say to a family who might be struggling with this decision right now after they've heard all of this and, like you said, think that maybe they feel like they're feeling guilty for making this decision? Is there any parting words you would say to somebody who might be struggling with this decision right now? The one thing that I would say is knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. So if you are thinking about hospice, if, if your physician maybe has mentioned hospice to you, if your home health nurse if your neighbor, if your physician that saw you in the hospital mm-hmm. has mentioned to you that that may be something that 
you or you and your family would might want to start considering. And naturally, it scares people initially. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to talk about that. Yeah. Um, it scares people. But what I would say is knowledge is power. So get the information. Mm-hmm. Nothing is a one-way road. Mm-hmm. If you call hospice and you say, Hi, hey, I want some information. Can you, can you come out and give us a consultation? That does not mean that you have to accept hospice right. services. Yeah. But I think it will give you more knowledge, and it will also give you a feel for what hospice is and what hospice isn't. That's right. So you make an informed decision. Sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. One thing I would like to say, I think the medical community is very, very diverse. You know, all the medical professionals come at things many times from different angles from what they're trying to do. Many times, I've seen this many times, physicians are reluctant to mention to a patient that have you considered hospice because— Two things. They can, number one, feel like it's a defeat. Yeah. That's one thing. And then number two is the fear of what they think they may be implying to a patient because it can become a very difficult discussion or it's, it's, it's sometimes one of those things that people don't tend to go to. A family member, I've many times seen family members say, we, we, we know we've been here for a long time. That we we know that we're beyond really all the testing and all the aggressive treatment. We realize we're not going to win this battle, and sometimes it is the families who have to bring it to the physician. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. And I think the physician many times will welcome it because they don't ever want to feel like they're abandoning or letting a patient down, and they're not. So by all means, I think families many times are there before the medical system is. Really? And so families, oh, that's nothing but an act of caring. That's wonderful. Well, thank you all both so much for joining us today. Um, I think this is a really, really wonderful conversation, and I hope that it helps a lot of families and and individuals who might be struggling with this decision. So thank you all so much. Yeah, thank you too, Liza. To learn more about Hospice of Tiftaria, you can visit mysouthhole.com or give them a call at 229-353-6330. Thank you for listening to this episode of Live Well with Southwell. If you have a question for a healthcare expert or a topic you'd like us to discuss, send an email to info at mysouthwell.com. Until next time, live well.